0: All right. so today we're going to be diving in and talking about heaven. Now as we get ready to have this conversation, I was all over the place this week as I was prepping to be able to talk to you and teach this to you and I wanted to come at it from this place of going, man, I want to answer all our big questions about heaven and paint this great picture for what heaven is really going to be like. But the deeper I tried to dive into that, the more I knew I was going to fall miserably short of painting a picture of what heaven is going to be like, of answering all your deep and profound questions about all the intricacies of heaven, like whether or not my grandma's going to be there, or my cat's going to be there, or are there going to be sexual intercourse in heaven, is there going to be dogs, and all those things that maybe you're asking, we, maybe we get to those at some point later on. But what I came to realize is I had this week, and this week was uh, actually my birthday week. And so on January 27th, I think that was Wednesday, um, I've had a long week, so things are all kind of running together. January 27th was my birthday, and unlike how I imagined my birthday being, it actually um, was one of the least happy days that I've experienced in 2021 so far. Again, we're only 20 some odd days in, but um, it wasn't a good day for the simple fact that I don't don't really know why or what happened or what kind of caused this or led to this, Um, but it was a day where... Amidst hundreds of Facebook comments, dozens of text messages, um, homemade drawings from my sons, people that I haven't talked to in years texting me and telling me "Happy Birthday," I found myself still down and depressed because there was one happy birthday that I didn't get. It was a happy birthday for my dad. And for those of you who know a little bit of my story, you know that um, a few years ago my dad was shot and killed. And there's just something in a son's heart that longs to hear that phone call. And I remember going through that and, and, and r- reminiscing on that day. And, and I understand, and I know that my dad's in heaven, but man, it honestly didn't give me a lot of hope to go, okay, well, he's there. Well, I, I would love to hear from him. And so today what I want to do is, is realize and be cognizant of the fact that what you need right now is maybe not the answer to the question of whether or not dogs are going to be in heaven. What you need maybe is is less of answers to, to complicated or convoluted questions. And maybe right now you need kind of what I needed on Wednesday. You need hope. You need hope that that the things that have been taken from you in this life and the pain that you've experienced in this life will actually be something that comes to an end and there's a, there's a finish line or there's a place that we cross where all the things that we have lost and all the tears that we've cried and all the things that we hope and wish and the brokenness that we experience in this life, it will come to pass. And so today, I'm probably going to fall short on answering all your questions. And so all I really am trying to do is give you hope that can only be found in heaven. That's my hope. That's my purpose and I believe that the Apostle Paul, he, he wants us to be able to experience that hope as well. And that's why he wrote what he did in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 18 says this. If you're like me and you've, you've felt pain, you've felt suffering, you've felt the heartache, and even uh, that's what you're experiencing now, I pray that this verse brings you some hope. It says in Romans eight eighteen, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. See, Paul understood that in this life you're going to have trouble. Jesus made that clear to us. Paul understood that. But what he's saying here, and it brought me hope Wednesday, and I hope it brings you hope today on Sunday or wherever it is that you're watching this, that the pain that we're experiencing in this life, this momentary pain and suffering, it does not even begin to compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us when we see Jesus in heaven. And so uh, what I... Was thinking through and processing through this week as I was, you know, going through some of this. Is I was remembering back because I don't know, just had one of those days. And when you're processing through grief, sometimes things just kind of come out of left field. I remember when I was going through some grief counseling. I was meeting with a, like an actual counselor. He made me do this incredibly depressing thing, which was um, writing out a a loss history chart or graph. And, and what he made me do in that was to chart out. Everything that was a major loss in my life or a bad thing that happened in my life, something where I had lost something, something had died, or whether it was a dog or a dream or whatever, and chart those out from birth to that present moment. As I began to do this, it was a really kind of gut wrenching reality as I saw the things that happened over the course of my life. And, you know, I've joked about going to this counselor before and, and kind of made some, you know, stuff. And I, I've admittedly said that it wasn't a great experience and it was one of the things that kind of turned me away from, you know, it made me more hesitant to go get counseling in, in the future. But as I walked through that and I was processing through that this week, here's one of the things that I came to realize. And this is uh, something I did this week that I would invite every single person to do as well. I, I took those things that were the worst things I'd ever experienced in this life. I would imagine right now you're beginning to even think of the same things that you've experienced in this life. They're the worst things you've experienced in life. Somebody lying to you, somebody abandoning you, somebody hurting or abusing you. To take all those things and to draw a new line from birth to this moment here. And on this new line, to, to write down all of the amazing things that have happened in your life, for, whether it be from graduating high school, whether it be you know graduating college, from, from getting married, from having children, to, to getting this award, to getting this promotion, to, to being able to, to see your mom or your dad come to faith in Christ, to be able to lead a friend or a coworker to Christ, all of these things that were actually the, the, the good things in this life. And as I looked at these two different timelines transposed one above the other, what I began to realize as I looked at the bottom line that was actually all the good things that had happened in my life, there were things on that line that would have never came into fruition, would have never been a part of my life. It had not been for some of the terrible, horrible, loss, grief-filled things that happened on the line above. And see, for you and your life, I, I, I think what God has done in showing us things like that is He's revealing to us this reality that even in our present-day life, He is redeeming things and restoring things, and He's working things together for the good of those who are called according to His purposes. And I believe that's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 this verse. He says, For our light and momentary troubles. Now again, whatever you plot out on those things that you write down, and in the moment we all know they didn't feel light or momentary. They felt like never ending, and they felt as heavy as they possibly could. But he says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. So he says, they're working. And as I looked through those two lines, I said, man, those things in the top line that were grief, that were lost, those were actually things that God used to work together to bring about some of the best things in my life. He said, they're working towards eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So because of that, because of the fact that, that God will use things in this lower line of the good things that God has brought in our life and they will be only because of some of the bad things, he says, so because of that, because of the hope and the reality that we know we have a redemptive God and He's hardwired that in us and we see it when we really go back and look at our lives, because of that, verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, when the New Testament, like our Bible, whether it's Jesus, Paul, Peter, or any of the people who are the authors in the New Testament, when the New Testament talks about pain, suffering, and heartache, it always does it with the backdrop of heaven. Peter was talking to a church that was experiencing persecution, was experiencing pain, was experiencing a lot of different hardships. And he wrote this to them. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. See, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. And verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. So Peter's writing these people, and he's telling them that persecution or pandemics or any problems, he's trying to encourage them to not let those things steal their joy because this home, this place where they're at, is a place where they have actually been giving this living hope that can be experienced right now. And this living hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. And because He has been resurrected, because He now lives forever, that means we will as well. And the place that we find ourselves, though, is this place where this earth, this planet, this life that we live, man, it can become very comfortable. And in this life, we can get so comfy here that we get angry when things don't go the way they should or we think they should here. And when they don't, we begin to get frustrated. We begin to get angry because we can sometimes get so consumed with the fact that this life is maybe you know, what it feels like is the only life that we miss out that the Bible makes it really clear. that No, this, there's more than meets the eye. And there's an inheritance. There's a different home. There's a different place. And there's a different group of people that you are being called to than the ones who are just around you right now. And so... When we talk about heaven and hell and this whole series, we've got to understand that there are a battle going on for our lives. There's, there's someone on the side of good, and I believe that's Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. But there's also an enemy. And see, Satan, his strategy is to do everything he can to get us focused on a temporal existence right now. Because we'll make poor decisions. We'll make things that are are, are living off of the short term and not the long term. We'll make short term decisions that have long term consequences. And, And here's why this is happening. See, Satan, he started out in the place that you are headed to. Satan started out in heaven with God. And because that's where he began, he knows a few things about God's original intent in your creation. There are two things that he knows and he uses to his advantage to ruin our lives. He knows that you were created for a person and you were created for a place. And because of that, he does everything he can to make you live this life here on earth, consumed with any person other than Jesus, including yourself. So he knows, hey, in this life, you were created for Jesus. And so his hope is to get you to focus on anything, whether it's another relationship, whether it's the person you see when you look in the mirror, whether it's getting the approval of a mother, a father, a boss, or somebody else. He says, man, if I can get you to focus on something that you were not created for, this world that you were never supposed to feel like you were fully at home in, then I'm going to win. And if I can get you to live this life, like this is what is the end game, this is the solution, then I'm going to win. And he is having a heyday, I think, in a lot of our lives. I think this is one of the reasons Paul wrote to us from a prison cell and said this, in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts. Again, in the same way that like, I have a phone right here and I set it on this table, it seems weird to think about this because we often have just go one way or the other. But what Paul is making clear to us here is, no, you actually can choose what you set your heart on. It's not just based off of what's happening. You have control over that. You can set it on things. And he's saying, choose to set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So when he says that there in verse 2, It's an active setting. It's like set this here and leave this here. And if you don't, bad things are going to happen because your mind is going to be focused on what's in front of you and it's going to be set on the things that are in this life and not the life that is to come. And he paints that picture very well when he continues on in verse 3 and says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with Him in glory. See, everything, guys, everything around us tries to keep our focus on everything around us. I love C.S. Lewis, love the movies, love the books. One of my favorite authors to read. He had some great insight on this point. Listen to what he said. He says, It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. C.S. Lewis got it. Paul got it as well. Paul in Philippians 1, 21-23 said, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire, and he's talking about his heart, what he wants to go after. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, we read something like this. and You've got to understand, like, Paul was not trying to romanticize death. Paul was trying to explain to us who we are in Christ. And because of who we are in Christ, we should look at this gate that death is differently. See, the gateway of death leads to never-ending joy. The Bible makes that very clear. And I want you to understand, again, I don't want you to miss this. Through the cross and the empty grave, death has been repossessed. And hope is now actually taking over the payment. And for us, we've got to live this life that we understand that through what Jesus did when he died, now we don't have to fear our own deaths. We get this 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 out-of-this-world hope from times where Jesus would look at the disciples, and he knew what was going to come of them. He knew that many of them were going to be killed and very torturous, very painful deaths. And he looked at them and he told them things like, hey, in this world you will have trouble. It's not an option. But then he also looked at them and he said things like this in Luke 6, 20 through 23. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. So we read a verse like this, and it hopefully brings us hope to understand that the pain, the fierceness of this world can bring on our lives Something that Jesus says, hey, remember, understand, when you're going through this, this is actually something that if you will understand that I am with this, I am in this with you, you experience blessing in the moment, but in the age to come, like when you cross over the finish line of this life into the next, the reward that you will reap far outweighs the pain that you experience. There's an author, Randy Alcorn, he wrote an amazing book on heaven. One of my favorite quotes in that book is this. He says, we will enjoy the magnificence of our God and his heaven, not merely in spite of all we have suffered here. We will enjoy it all the more because of everything we have suffered here. I love that. And when I look at a verse like that, it answers one of the biggest questions that many people have around heaven. They ask this question of, will I remember what happened on earth when I enter into the afterlife? When I go to heaven, will I remember what happened on earth. And again, I think we're asking this question from this root basis of going, man, I've experienced some hard things on earth. Will I remember those hard things in heaven? Will I remember those in the, in the, in the time that is eternity? My simple answer to that question is yes, because I read the Bible and I see that God's narrative story is more glorious because of how broken it came from When you look at the story, really, of the gospel, of the cross, and you see how broken, how abused, and how mangled the Son of God was there as He hung on that wooden cross, and then you see the glory of His resurrected body, what do you also see on His resurrected body? He shows up to a room full of disciples with scars. And I believe we, too, will show up in heaven with scars. But scars, you know what they do? Scars don't point to the fact that we are still wounded. Scars point to the fact that we are healed. The Bible makes it very clear that by His wounds we are healed. By His stripes we have been given new life, a restored life. And so will you get to heaven and remember some of the bad things that happened on earth? I think you will. And I don't think you'll remember them to a place where they cause you negative emotions, they cause you to you know, relapse into stress and anxiety and those types of things because that's not what's in heaven. But I think you'll remember them and now you'll be able to see them for all that they truly were because you have seen how Jesus redeemed them and all of the glory that is now brought out of them completely overshadows and eliminates whatever negative they were. See, the truth is, friends, suffering in this world, it changes our perspective of the next. And without eternal perspective, we assume that People who die young or people who have disabilities or are people who have poor health or are homeless or have never had children or never got married. When we see those things, we can tend to assume that, oh man, they missed out on the best things that this life had to offer. But guys, that is a super flawed theology because it assumes that life is all about everything that is here right now. Another one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, he says, They say of some temporal suffering. No future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn that agony into glory. See, guys, every agony, every injustice, every pain, every heartache, every loss will be made right. And not just be made right, it will be turned into unspeakable joy. We get a glimpse of what this end moment is going to look like in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. If you've got a Bible, please go there. One of Jesus' favorite disciples, he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. He's quarantined on this island, banished to this island called Patmos. And while he's there, he's given this vision and he's been able to experience what heaven is like. And this is what we get in the book of Revelation. Really, this is a main part of where we get our idea of what heaven is going to be like. And we see here what, just how beautiful of a moment it's going to be. He's talking and he says that this is what's going to happen. Verse 1, chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and He will be with His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. Listen close to this next part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all Things new. That's a great place for an amen. That's a great place for the comment section to light up because that, guys, is the hope that we have to look forward to. The hope in realizing that this God of all things new will not be satisfied until every sin, every evil, every sorrow, every heartbreak, and every tear is wiped away. And the earth, the earth isn't just wiped away and knocked out of his misery. The earth is being infused with all of Christ's love, all of Christ's righteousness, and now this new heaven and new earth exists for us to enjoy God truly as He designed us to from the very beginning. So to ask the question of, what in the world will I do in heaven? Well, you will do, without a doubt, exactly what you were created to do. To ask the question, who will I be in heaven? You will be exactly who God created you to be. We have all these misconceptions about heaven, but the Bible makes it clear, and I think in verses like this in Revelation, that that if you read in there, it it says that the new Jerusalem came down out of heaven. God is bringing heaven here, and he's making this place, this, this earth that he created, something new. Now, what's happening there is he is not saying, I am making all new things. That's not the way it reads. And so when we think about what heaven is going to be like, we got to understand, he says, I am making all things new. What that means is he's renewing, he's restoring. And so I think we get this image of what heaven is going to be like. There's going to be so like unimaginable and out of this world and we just can't even put our mind around it. But I think heaven is going to be a lot more like earth than we realize, but it's going to be so much more redeemed and restored and back to perfection as God intended it to be, that it truly blows our mind. One of the places where Jesus made this really clear was in Matthew chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. Jesus was talking to a group of people and he said, Truly I tell you, at the renewal, now he uses this word, the Greek word right there that he uses, is palingenesia. And that word there means a return to Genesis. He's saying at the renewal. Again, he is renewing all things. He's not making all new things. He is renewing things back to their original state, how they originally were intended to be. When the Son of Man sits on His throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And anyone, He broadens the spectrum here. He's originally talking to His disciples, and He says, Okay, now in anyone, which includes Me, includes you, anyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for My sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is saying, Guys, this world is not your home. And listen, everything that you let go of in this life to show the world around that this is not your home, everything that you release in this life to follow after me faithfully, you can rest on this promise that you will be repaid a hundredfold, more than you could ever imagine, for everything that you let go of to follow me. Simply put, what will heaven look like? Heaven will look like earth at its best and then some. The best part of this life will carry over into the next, and none of the bad will. See, think about the things in this life that you love the most, things that make you feel the closest to God. If those things can be so beautiful and so glorious, yet this world is still so broken, imagine what it will be like when God puts it all back together. Paradise lost will be paradise gained. A new world without a hint of evil. Nothing to tarnish the beauty, nothing to hinder the travel. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation existing as one family without fear, without prejudice, without barriers. Are you ready for it? My prayer is that you understand that whatever you feel in this life, that feels like it's holding you back and taking away this life from you. For many of you, that's, that's pain. Like some of you, I know, you wake up and you feel chronic pain every single day. Whether it's an illness, whether it's fibromyalgia, whether it's something that is a broken or a messed up limb. You feel the pain. You've got to understand that there is coming a day when you will be pain-free, flexible, able to run, no glasses, no hearing aids, no artificial limbs, new bodies for those of us who have put our faith and trust and hope in Christ. For some of us, we live in a constant state of emotional pain. And you've got broken hearts. Like me, you feel grief. There's no grief in heaven. There's no mourning in heaven. There's no struggles with depression or anxiety. There's no painful memories, no flashbacks, no broken hearts, no nightmares. There's nothing in heaven to trigger PTSD. And there's nothing in heaven to trigger a relapse either. And for those of you who on this earth struggle with addiction, it's knowing that through the faith that you have in Christ, not to be successful, not to 100% always overcome and always do this, but to say, I'm going to be faithful to you, Christ. That's what you've called me to do. That there's going to come a day when we wash up on the shores of heaven that there's no temptation, there's no struggle, that the true, pure desires for whatever God created us for will be ready and available to us, and they will be good, they will be righteous, and they will be satisfied by our Father who created us with good and pure desires that we may have filled in wrong ways here on earth. There's a wise man in the Bible, one of the people who is arguably the wisest people who ever walked the face of the earth. He said this, in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He, being God, planted eternity in the human heart. Now, you read a verse like that, and maybe you're like me, you realize that it really doesn't take a wise man to figure that out. I think we all know that our human heart longs for something more than this place that we are currently living. We feel it when the person we heard say, I do, is now all of a sudden saying, I don't. We feel it when we see on the news that another child has been caught in the crossfires of gun violence. We see it when our nation's best and brightest still can't keep people from dying from cancer or COVID or ALS. We realize in this life that it's really hard to feel at home in a not forever place like this. But do you know what? That's actually a good thing. It's a good thing that Our deepest desires, our deepest hopes cannot be satisfied by a place like this. It points and whets the appetite that we should never let this earth fill, and we should long for heaven. Augustine said this. It's a great quote to put down in your Bible, to write, to never forget. He said, The only ultimate disaster that can befall us, I've come to realize, is to feel ourselves to be at home in this earth to be at home in this earth. And one of the things that I thought wouldn't be true about my spiritual life has actually been one of the things that I've unfortunately seen to become true. You would think that the longer you live life here, the more your heart would become attached to heaven. But man, I've got to admit and be honest that I have days where I realize and I look up and I see that actually the opposite is becoming true, that my roots in this world are actually sometimes feeling like they're running deeper, that I feel more attached longer than I'm here. And my hope is that you, like me, would begin to, to cut those roots off and that our home would feel less and less like it is this place and will be a home that we long for in heaven. One last verse out of Revelation I want to show you. And this is one, and it speaks to this idea of home, because any of us who have ever walked into a home, we know that a home is not the brick and mortar. It's not the siding and the wood. It's not all of those things. A home is made up of the people who are in it. That's what makes it a home. And there's a face that all of us long to see when we walk through the thresholds of our own homes. But when we enter to our heavenly home, there's a face there as well. Revelation talks about this. So Revelation 22, verses 1 through 4. John is being shown around the glories and intricacies of heaven, and this is what he's writing down as he recounts what he's seen. It says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every single month. The leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. So he's painting this picture of this heavenly home that we get to enter back into. And it says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. Now, don't miss verse four. Five words that are maybe the five most beautiful words in all of Scripture. It says, They will see his face. They will see his face. Now, maybe you hear that and your jaw doesn't drop and you don't get overwhelmed with with the gratitude of what's happening in that moment. But you've got to understand that to be able to stand before the holy God, the unhindered view of His glory should be something that blows us away because never before has that been able to be something that could happen. All throughout Scripture, we see these recounts of different people coming and having encounters with God. But man, they saw hymns of His garment, or they saw His face veiled. No one has ever lived, and God made it really clear. He said, if you saw me, you would die. And what He's saying here is not that you would die because you're terrified of how awesome I am. His my glory would blow your life away. And so somebody, my son, is going to have to give his life so that you can enter into this place to where because of now His righteousness and His perfectness, you can look into my perfectness eye to eye. And that's what we get to do in heaven is to see him face to face and not die. Now, what's amazing about this is not only will we see his face and live, but we will likely wonder if we ever lived before that moment when we do see his face. As we get ready to go into a time of communion, I'm reminded of the lyrics from a song, the song, How Deep the Father's Love. It says, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. See, friend, as amazing as it's going to be to be able to see the face of God, you will see His face Because there came a time when his son's face was marred and brutally broken, beaten and bloody beyond recognition as he took on all of your sins, all of my sins, all the sins of creation, past, present, and future. And the father turned his face away from him so that you could be treated, loved, cared for, and welcomed in to his heavenly kingdom as a son and daughter. And as you take communion today, My prayer is that you close your eyes, that you dream of His face, that you witness even in the recesses of your imagination the glory that is to come. And that whatever pain you feel right now, whatever struggle you're in right now, you know that it's not even comparing to the glory that is to be revealed when you see Him face to face. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love, your grace, and most importantly, the glory that is to come. Father God, we pray that our hearts, God, would long for heaven, that our minds, God, and our hearts would continue to be set not on the things of this world, but on your kingdom, that we would make an amazing difference in this life because we are actually focused on the life that is to come with you. Draw us, Jesus, more and more closely to you as we walk this life hand in hand with you every single day. In your name, amen.